Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us today for our Politics of Prosecution class at High Point University. On this podcast, we will be discussing the term progressive prosecutor and their impact on policy. In tackling this topic, I, Shannon Conrad, am joined by Nathan Markle, Brian Cooper, and Vivian McAllister. Without further ado, let's move into the discussion of the role of the progressive prosecutor. The term progressive prosecutor refers to a prosecutor who is reform-oriented. They have been historically elected on platforms that include abandoning cash bail, declining low-level charges, not pursuing marijuana cases, and closely scrutinizing police conduct in an effort to change a system that they say over-incarcerates and disproportionately punishes poor people and racial minorities. They aim to change the criminal justice system from the inside, choosing which to charge and how to charge them. There are two methods in which the progressive prosecutors can take. The first is the non-enforcement method, which is simply not to pursue charges in a case that they necessarily might not agree with. For example, marijuana possession. The next method is diverted enforcement, which refers to most states permitting prosecutors to suspend prosecution for qualified defendants so long as they abide by set conditions. They also want to hold police accountable for their misconduct, so they are also well known for having police accountability. There is a discussion on whether or not a prosecutor can be a good person as well as a good prosecutor, since there have been a perpetuated belief that prosecutors tend to be harsh and punitive. So I'm going to open the floor to my fellow peers and ask, do you think that being a good prosecutor means that you can't be a good person? Personally, I think that a prosecutor has to be passionate about what they are prosecuting. In a courtroom, it is very obvious if an individual does not have a specified thought or feeling towards a specific case because body language and just facial expressions can give a lot of way in terms of how a certain individual feels about something. So I think that prosecutors tend to have such a cold and hard demeanor because that's often how they're depicted in media, such as television, um, movies. I mean, you always have the defense attorney who's kind of the underdog and then the prosecutor who has the government on his side or her side and also always seems to have the case, know the case and have everything kind of working in their favor. But I don't necessarily think that if you're a good prosecutor, that means you can't be a good person. I mean, progressive prosecutors are a good example of this because they are working and using their position that they have to try and enact change that is beneficial for or what they deem beneficial for society, such as, you know, lowering the incarceration rates by deciding not to charge for low level drug offenses, if that's, you know, something that they believe shouldn't be charged. I mean, we just saw in Oregon, I believe, they elected to not pursue cases regarding small, low-level drug possession offenses. And whether or not this is the result of what progressive prosecutors have been doing, I mean, t- only time will tell if that's, if that's the case. But I think that as long as a prosecutor is pursuing what they believe might be the best for their individual society, then it can be argued that you know you can be both a good person and a good prosecutor. I would definitely say that the media's depiction of prosecutors is almost always the role of an aggressor. And a big thing that we want to touch on today is there are multiple different types of prosecutors. 
And specifically, we want to be focusing on federal prosecutors. And there are a couple of reasons for that. But the primary reason behind this is the role as outlined by the United States Code in Title 28, Section 554, regards federal prosecutors. And the federal prosecutor is meant to prosecute for all offenses against the United States. Now, this is extremely broad. It leads us to wonder, what qualifies as an offense? The federal prosecutor gets to decide whether an action is inherently offensive to the United States and can, with reasonable grounds of the action, violating federal criminal law, prosecute this action. The federal prosecutor is allowed to decide what cases to prosecute, who the offender is, and what sentence the offender deserves for violating these laws. So since they have such discretion over what the law is and who it applies to, it leads us to wonder, what should federal prosecutors actually do? In the Berger versus the United States of 1935, the United States attorney is the representative not of an ordinary party to a controversy, but of a sovereignty whose obligation to govern impartially is as compelling as its obligation to govern at all, and whose interest, therefore, in a criminal prosecution is not that it shall win a case, but that justice shall be done. As such, he is in a peculiar and very definite sense the servant of the law, the twofold aim of which is that guilt shall not escape or innocence suffer. He may prosecute with earnestness and vigor. Indeed, he should do so. But while he may strike hard blows, he is not at liberty to strike foul ones. It is as much his duty to refrain from improper methods calculated to produce a wrongful conviction as it is to use every legitimate means to bring about a just one. So what we can gather from this decision that was decided in 1935 is the role of the prosecutor has a purpose of not winning cases, but ensuring that justice is done inside of our legal system. This causes us to ask another question, which is, but what is justice? Is justice maintaining the law? There are four principal understandings of what the law is, and you can establish standards, you can maintain order, you can resolve disputes, and you can protect the liberties and rights of people. Now, another important definition that we should really have is, what is the definition of progression? Progression is defined as a forward or onward movement as to an objective or to a goal, or gradual betterment. As such, a progressive prosecutor would be one who establishes new standards. They have to maintain the order of new policy. They have to resolve disputes in an effort to better their society, and they should be protecting liberties and rights of those who were previously unprotected. This is moving forward. But another way we could view justice is, is justice doing what is right. Whether or not an action is right is immensely subjective and cannot serve as a standard for defining justice. One person could see the ruling of a case as justice or injustice depending on their background. Justice must be, in the case of progressive prosecution, the act of pursuing and defending new standards which protect the unprotected and make progress towards a more fair and equal society. But this begs the question, is justice what is decided by the law or do prosecutors have influence on what justice is? If the law is always just and fair, there would be no need for reform. In essence, the law would be serving exactly what it is meant to serve and there's no need for us to change it. 
But this cannot be the case because we do see reform in our legal system. There must be changes that are made. This notion of justice is fluid between different people, it must be and is fluid within our laws. The prosecutors have the unique ability and duty to influence what justice is here in America, especially progressive prosecutors, so that real change can actually occur within our society. This movement towards a more equal society can only come through the changing of policies, and this is an extremely politicized area of study. Now we want to move in to talk about the different kinds of political styles of prosecutors which influence their actions when they're holding office. So one of the ways that politics influences prosecutors is it will push them into a role of an office conservator. So the office conservator is a type of prosecutor who accepts the status quo. They try their hardest not to step on toes of anyone else in the legal system and only make slight changes to the current policy. Really significant changes are not made unless the office conservator is asked to do so by the ruling political party of which they are affiliated. They also have a tendency to accept the traditional dominance of the judges in the courthouse community. These people are really all about upholding current policy and ensuring that not many changes are made, and if so, they're very slight. Or the political party decides that a big change is required and they are going to be the ones that are pushing that policy into effect. Another type of politicization of prosecutors are courthouse insurgents. And the courthouse insurgent is the complete and total opposite of the office conservator. They're absolutely dissatisfied with the status quo. And as such, they do the complete opposite of the conservator. They attempt to make radical changes with or without political party approval, and they don't shy away from open conflict. These types of prosecutors are not afraid to challenge the courthouse community in pursuit of their goals and will openly call out judges and make a point of having their voices heard in the courthouse. These people are, in a sense, radical. They're trying to make as much change as they can when they're in office, and they don't really care who they offend when they're going about their goals. A final form of a politicized prosecutor are policy reformers. Policy reformers are also dissatisfied with the status quo, but these types of prosecutors are far more cautious. They choose very wisely how to move, and often take their fight to change policy and procedure to back rooms and behind closed doors. They fight indirectly to make changes. This isn't to say that they're shy in making these changes, but they're just more apt to playing chess and not checkers in terms of strategy when pushing for policy and procedural changes. Another thing that we have to address when talking about prosecutors is the fundamental concept behind whether they will fall into the doing justice model or the advocate model. The doing justice model entails prosecutors pursuing the ideal of justice above all else, whereas the advocate model focuses far more on obtaining convictions and not necessarily deciding guilt on their own. However, we are choosing to look at prosecutors under a progressive lens. And since we are choosing to view them in this light, it naturally follows that we would support that progressive prosecutors must be pursuing the doing justice model if we were to view justice as we defined with the progressive lens previously. Now I want to hand it over to Vivian so she can discuss examples of how progressive prosecutors exist within our society. So thank you, Nathan. Um, one of the biggest things to consider with progressive prosecutors is that 
unlike the established duties and responsibilities of prosecutors, the idea of being a progressive prosecutor is not explicitly defined, and it can have a variety of meaning depending on the prosecutor themselves. However, Harvard Law Review has a good general definition, defining pro progressive prosecutors as those who, quote, seek to balance the use of prosecutorial discretion. When traditional prosecutors have used their enforcement their enforcement powers in a heavy-handed manner to punish marginalized individuals, progressive prosecutors institute practices that pull back on those punitive measures, or at least divert them. And where traditional prosecutors have refused to exercise their expansive powers to hold police accountable for their misdeeds, progressive prosecutors sometimes actively prosecute police officers, end quote. In short, progressive prosecutors use their prosecutorial discretion in a way that attempts to level the legal system for everyone in their communities. So a currently prominent organization that promotes this progressive approach to prosecution is the Fair and Just Prosecution Organization, also known as FJP. Launched in 2017, FJP unites newly elected prosecutors um, while promoting diversion programs and restorative justice, as opposed to incarceration and retributive justice. Outlined in their 21 principles for the 21st century prosecutor, FJP has two core principles. One, reducing incarceration, which inform, which involves reforms for bail, um, juvenile offenders, and mentally ill offenders. And two, increasing fairness, which entails reforming the legal system itself with things such as ending the death penalty and making use of forensic evidence in a fair manner. So overall, there are five issues within the legal system that progressive prosecutors are focusing their efforts on, and they are the following. Immigration, police accountability, marijuana, protests, and abortion. As previously mentioned, there is no clear definition for progressive prosecution. However, I will reference the FJ FJP's perspective on these five issues since the FJP has a current influence on the American legal system. So in terms of immigration, progressive prosecutors place an emphasis on finding ways to support non-citizens in their community and limit deportation. An example of this is that instead of charging for minor low-level offenses, such as driving without a license or speeding, progressive prosecutors are choosing to impose citations or fines for non-citizens. In some cases, um, progressive prosecutors will also partner with community organizations in order to establish diversion programs and other alternative ways to report these crimes. Ultimately, their goal is to provide an equitable legal experience for non-citizens and keep families together by limiting deportation. On to the next topic of police accountability, progressive prosecutors seek to balance between charging police officers when justified while also upholding the values of the community. When a police officer is involved in an incident, progressive prosecutors assert that an independent group of individuals experienced in law enforcement but not affiliated with the local police department should be the ones to investigate that incident. Progressive prosecution also calls for transparency throughout the investigation and the charging process, so both the police officer and the community are aware of what's going on at all times. Their goal here with police accountability is to show that the legal system applies to everyone and that police officers are not above the law and that they want to build trust in the community between citizens, civilians, and the police department. 
On the third issue, marijuana, progressive prosecutors pushed for decriminalizing marijuana possession and implementing diversion programs. So the legalization of marijuana is interesting because it's one of the few issues where some Americans can agree on. And what we see is that regardless of political party affiliation, Democrats, Republicans, and independents believe that marijuana possession should be legal for personal use and that people should not be arrested for selling small quantities of marijuana. There's also a racial disparity found within marijuana possession crimes in which African-Americans are more likely to be arrested. So here, progressive prosecutors seek to find ways of minimizing the disproportionate rates of offenders from marginalized groups while also responding to what the people think should be crimes and what shouldn't be. So the next two issues, protest and abortion, are issues that have really arisen in this year, 2020. And as we progress into 2021 and onward, we do not know where these issues will end up. This is just a current snapshot of where we are. So on protests, there have been many across the United States in the response to the deaths of Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and other individuals within this year. Nationwide, in response to this, prosecutors have taken different approaches to charging and not charging protesters. Many progressive prosecutors have used their prosecutorial discretion to not charge protesters for breaking curfew or stay-at-home orders, so long as the protests were peaceful and nonviolent. It is important to note here that protests are still ongoing as we speak, and as we face district attorney elections, the prosecution or lack thereof of protesters could change. So the death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg on September 18th, 2020, raised questions about who would fill her seat in the Supreme Court, and also our next issue, the future of abortion rights. And so a week after Justice Ginsburg's death, President Trump announced the nomination of Justice Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court. Due to Justice Barrett's conservative views, there were concerns that Roe versus Wade, a landmark Supreme Court, Supreme Court case that gave women the right to abortion, could be overturned if Justice Barrett was confirmed to the court. On October 15th, SJP released a statement in which 64 elected prosecutors vowed to use their charging discretion to not charge individuals should, should abortion become criminalized. On October 26, Justice Barrett was confirmed to the Supreme Court by the Senate. Similar to the unknown circumstances surrounding protests, it is impossible to know if Roe v. Wade, a federal case, will be overturned and how individual state governments would change or not change should abortion laws change in response to that overturning. These five issues outline immigration, police accountability, marijuana, protests, and abortion are all examples of how progressive prosecutors are reforming the traditional system of prosecution. In some ways, they're using alternative methods to facilitate restorative justice to offenders and making the legal system just for all, such as the case with immigration and police accountability. In other ways, they are nullifying laws by using their prosecutorial power to not charge, such as the case with marijuana, protests, and hypothetically abortion. Okay, so now I'm going to pass it to Brian, and he's going to talk about the effect of elections on prosecutors. Thank you, Vivian. Uh, so right now I'm going to talk about what us as citizens can do to influence prosecution and uh, the whole legal process in general. 
Um, unfortunately, there's not many people that know who their uh, district attorney is. They don't know who their elected officials are at all, besides maybe president, maybe senators, maybe House of Representatives. So one of the best things that we can do to start is to educate ourselves on who is actually running for these less notorious roles such as district attorney and prosecutor. In America, almost all prosecutors are either elected or appointed by an elected official. So whether directly or indirectly, your vote and your opinion on the issues that matter will affect what prosecutors will be doing in your state and in the whole country. So let's look at how these elections have changed over the years. Historically, of course, not just with judicial elections, but with all elections, the incumbents have been much more likely to win any kind of election just because people feel like it's safer to not rock the boat and not pick someone new. But things are changing now and elections in the judicial world are becoming much more closer and they're becoming competitive because there's an increase in funding for elections, there's an increase in all kinds of activity, and now we have much easier access to information. So they're becoming much more competitive. And some say this is a good thing, some say this is not a good thing. Obviously, it's a good thing because people feel like if, if you're in the position of prosecutor, then you have to listen to the people because you're not gonna be guaranteed a win just because you are the incumbent. But the bad thing is, however, that campaign contributions are going up, and that could mean that a candidate feels loyalty to their special interests. And one of these special interests that is probably one of the most concerning is that police unions are likely to contribute to these kind of elections. And then maybe this has an impact on whether the prosecutor prosecutes police officers when there's an act of possible injustice as we talked about with some of the cases that happened this year. Specifically, I want to look at Ahmad Aubrey in Georgia, where prosecutors chose not to prosecute against the murder. And the district attorney at the time was Jackie Johnson. And public opinion turned against her so heavily that she lost her incumbent race against Keith Higgins in Georgia. And this was just in November 3rd of 2020. So this is an example of how protest and public opinion can really impact who is doing the prosecutions in your state. So that's a, that's a really good example of how people working together can, can get change and maybe even ways that they didn't expect. So one of the points that I wanted to bring up was where the wants of the public may not actually align with the law. What should the course of action be for a prosecutor? So I think that in many cases, um, a lot of times there are kind of specific written out positions, which or roles that a, you know, elected prosecutor must fill. There are certain expectations such as like, prosecuting. Um, I think that's pretty obvious. But there are also some sort of implied powers, I guess, of, a, of the role of a prosecutor. And I think that sometimes our society can move so quickly that the law might not be as up to date as our society might have progressed to, um, which when they were creating the Constitution, that was kind of their 
their goals was to make, you know, amending the constitution, not difficult, but more of a timely process so that you could make sure that it was what you actually wanted to change the law to. So I think that in cases where the want of the public might not align with the law, um, I think it really depends on a case by case basis. I mean, if a prosecutor is truly passionate about how they, where they stand on an issue and, and the public is behind them and they, you know, they have the support of the public, it's much easier for them to, you know, not disregard the law, but potentially not prosecute that specific law. I think it's much easier when there is the support of the public. However, when the prosecutor is going against what the want of the public is, um, I think it could be a lot more difficult to kind of justify why your stance is correct if you believe it or if you think that it's correct. What about you, Vib? Yeah, I definitely agree with what Shannon's saying. It, it reminds me of jury nullification and the way that when juries hear a case and they, um, you know, they may decide that this person's guilty of, let's just say, marijuana possession, but they feel that marijuana should be legal and they decide to not um, announce charges for this person. In the same way that Shannon's referring to, they are, it's the public that's deciding how we charge, even though the prosecutor has already brought charges. In some ways, I guess it's a question of, do prosecutors have somewhat of a nullification implicitly written into their roles? It's something to think about. Yeah, I tend, I tend to think that um, prosecutors should be representing the law, not necessarily what they think the law should be, but what it is in the moment. And I guess that would be kind of against the idea of progressive prosecution in the moment of a trial, but they're not lawmakers. And I think that's an important distinction to make because there's a lot of steps. There's a lot of people that are going to be defending these people. You have the defendant, you have advocates, you've got public opinion, you've got all these things. I don't think that we also need prosecutors to also um, be defending the defendant in a sense um, because it's their job to represent the law, not the defendant. And by by not prosecuting based on their feelings, they're they're just another defendant instead of a prosecutor. Yeah, they're definitely the role that they take is they get to interpret the law. That's the majority where their power comes into effect. And that is what gives them the ability to decide who's in violation of the law and what they should be sentenced with if they are in violation of the law, they decide whether or not something qualifies as an offense. And with that ability comes a lot of power. Another question that we wanted to bring up was, should prosecutors be able to have the discretion to determine whether or not they should prosecute the law? Um, I think that, you know, as we were explaining how prosecutors aren't really their, their role isn't necessarily to kind of change or determine what the law should be as we elect, you know, Congress men and women in order to make said laws um, on a federal basis. But as far as the state by state or even just town by town, local community aspect goes, I mean, it's a lot easier for individuals who are closer to a specific town or township to know what the people want and know what works or what doesn't work within their society. Um, I think a lot of times, 
you know, our, our Congress can be, our, the way a bill can be passed um, has so many, you know, safeguards and checks and balances throughout the entire process that especially now in our polarized political climate that it can be extremely difficult to get a bill passed that might necessarily be on the more, um, I don't want to say progressive in terms of like where the, the, weak, the political belief stands, but progressive in terms of, you know, potentially advancing something for our society. Um, yeah, more like reform. Yeah, exactly. More reform oriented. Um, I think that, you know, prosecutors are similar ju judges in order to kind of have a not not impartial role, but less of a partisanship. So the fact that, you know, prosecutors can run as a, you know, political party affiliate is a little bit bizarre to me uh, personally, because it kind of tells you all you need to know about what cases they're going to charge or what they're not going to charge. Um, and I know when I was filling out my election ballot for absentee voting that they're next to my, you know, elected prosecutors, there were little marks for which party affiliate they were, but they also had them under every single category for affiliation. So they weren't really affiliated with the party on paper, but if you look at how they have previously, you know, chosen to go about things, you can see that they are somewhat politically motivated as well. I would definitely say when it comes to prosecutors making decisions on certain policies, there's definitely a polarizing effect. We have a tendency to even ourselves toss them into one tribe of thought, and it must be easier for them when they're going into elections. A lot of people decide that they want to vote for a particular candidate based off of their party affiliation. That's kind of how American politics work. And for a prosecutor to try and not play that game, I think would be really disadvantageous for them. They wouldn't be able to have a sense of community or identity with a group of people in order to win their vote. It would have to be just based off of history, like historically, how did they rule certain cases? And I feel like unless they play the game the way American politics has been, they would lose the game. Yeah, I agree. I think since so few people actually know who their prosecutors actually are, I think that you kind of have to um, identify yourself with a specific party in, e in order to even obtain votes. Otherwise, individuals are essentially voting blindly when they go into the ballot box because the chances of them doing research, I mean, historically, our voter turnout is relatively low in general, and most voters are relatively apathetic when it comes to politics. Um, so in order to have even a name that people might even recognize, you have to either affiliate yourself with, you know, a particular party or spend money on advertisements, which can be extremely expensive that, you know, these low pro relatively low profile elections don't normally have that much in terms of spending money. I mean, we've seen in the past that certain organizations will donate money to progressive prosecutors that they believe um, will support their causes. I mean, there there was a case in or a situation in Florida where this happened that uh, a progressive prosecutor was able to essentially get a bunch of money from organizations that were very reform oriented and they wound up getting millions of dollars in donations um, in order to get their name out there and, you know, potentially be elected into that position. 
when we think about voting, we're generally voting for individuals in these cases, but people don't take the time to go and research who these individuals are. And I believe that the majority of Americans have a tendency to associate that person with a political party. They're like, oh, this must be a Democratic prosecutor. Oh, this is a Republican prosecutor. Oh, this person's progressive. Oh, this person will just maintain current policies. And that takes away who the prosecutor is as a person and the individual that's actually being voted into office. Instead, it fills that role with a Republican or a Democrat. And I don't think that that is how the election should be. Yeah, and, and just to bring up an example from our own class, um, one of the first days that we attended class, our professor showed us pictures of all of, all of our attorney generals and uh, I don't think anyone recognized their own attorney general. And this is in a political science class where all of us have expressed interest in this kind of thing. And we still don't know who they are. And, and so that's just another example of how uh, very few people really know what the person, who the person is. They, they just look at Democrat or Republican. And also um, for, these, uh, for these candidates who are running, um, they have an obligation to that party too, because in, for them to get elected, they need that's they need that support from their party. They need support from the groups that donate to that party, and they need support from the voters that belong to that party too. So they they lose a little bit of their soul, in my opinion, by signing up with these parties. However, they have no chance if they don't, which is another bad thing. What about you, Viv? What are your thoughts? I think um, I agree with everything you all are saying in the way that. It's like being a Republican or a Democrat for prosecutors. It's, it's kind of like a box. And so long as that prosecutor operates within that box, you know, charging or not charging as aligned with the um, Democratic or Republican agenda, then we kind of don't we don't know who they are. We don't necessarily necessarily care. But as soon as they step out of that box, you know, maybe they're more progressive or maybe or maybe they charge in a way that is um at a disjunction with what is expected, then that's when they're on the news and we know about them. And then during the next election, we vote them out. So I agree with you. We we definitely don't give the prosecutor a chance to you know tell their vision, tell how they're going to charge, tell what their interpretations of the law are before we just put them in a box and then we're quick to vote them out should they break the box. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I mean. Personally, I think that a prosecutor acting as some sort of a policymaker, being that their turnaround rate could be so quick as to, you know, they're elected one term and then the next election they lose it because of what they did. It creates some sort of, personally, I think that it creates some sort of instability within our legal system. Um, one of the most consistent things that we have is, you know, the safeguards on how we go through our legal processes. And so it raises the question whether or not, you know, is progressive prosecution a good thing to try and change the policies of the law? Um, should prosecutors, which are kind of like the base level of when it comes to enforcing policies, um, should they be trying to essentially overtake the hierarchy and try and, you know, enforce their own some sort some sense of their own policies? Or should we just leave it to the to our elected Congress, which is, you know, that's their given role in the Constitution. Yeah, we, we've talked about previously that 
prosecutors do not write policy. However, they do interpret policy, and that does have a lot of power because later prosecutions can build off of prior rulings. And since these laws have been interpreted, they have indirectly changed how the policy affects cases. So the fact that prosecutors have this ability to interpret the law as they do, I do believe that this does allow for some instability. It kind of muddies the water a little bit and makes it a lot more subjective. Not every case is going to be treated exactly the same way because there's such room for interpretation. I agree. I think that, you know, our society changes so quickly that we don't necessarily have the laws that are able to keep up with how quickly our society progresses. And in some regards, that's a good thing that we're not making, you know, rash decisions that we can't really enforce, like we don't have the capacity to enforce these changes. But also at the same time, we run into a lot of issues regarding how our society doesn't necessarily function well with current laws that we may have. Um, our society finds that, you know, we might not need said laws in our in our governing institutions, yet they're still there because it takes a significant amount of time and effort to either propose for a change in those laws or even just to get those laws voted to be changed. Or what do you even change them to? You know, a lot of people are quick to say that they don't agree with this certain law, but then when it comes to well, you know, this this is the issue that the law was intended to help out with, but they don't have an alternative to what would be better. Um, and I think that moving moving forward, um, we're going to discuss, you know, the prosecutors can have a lot of a lot more power than we as a society even notice that they have. Um, you know, they have relatively their discretion goes relatively unchecked. Um, the only thing really holding them in place is they're either if they determine to affiliate themselves with a political party or, you know, their their election. But as we had mentioned before, that their elections are not necessarily very high profile. So people tend to just vote based on, you know, oh, I, li I like this person's name more or something. Um, I'm sure there are implicit biases that might lead into them choosing a certain candidate over another if they have no idea who either one of them are. But are there even any checks on prosecutors who are, you know, refusing to prosecute certain crimes? Because really the check, one, one wants to think that the defense attorney would be an individual who would be able to have these checks on a prosecutor. But those checks really only, only come about when they're taking a case to trial. And very few cases are actually brought to trial where a defense attorney actually has any sort of power in order to kind of keep the prosecutor in check and whether or not it has a, a, the defense attorney has a lot of power is up for debate as well. Continuing off of your thoughts, Shannon, I think it's interesting when you talk about checks on prosecutors because I think the only check on a prosecutor could be from the community because it would be difficult to say to put laws in place or organizations to check prosecutors because only the community I'm thinking could say, well, we want this to be prosecuted or we don't want this to be prosecuted. So it's almost like we're limited to elections and defense attorneys because how else the community is able to lend their voices to the um, criminal justice system. I think that there's also another caveat to that is media. How is the community going to know anything about any of these cases unless the media shows it to them? 
And without the media combined with the public, there really isn't that much of a check on prosecutorial discretion at all. And another thing that we should talk about is prosecutors were not initially intended to exist when we decided to create our country. And they just kind of were picked up along the way. That role was eventually added. And do you think that it was a natural evolution of our political system to incorporate the role of a prosecutor into our legal system? I mean, when when thinking, you know, I'm going to put back, put on my uh, American Revolution hat for a second. Um, when thinking back to the time where they were kind of formulating a whole country that you know, theoretically works on paper. I mean, was the, was the United States, what, did it meet the criteria for what, you know, was working theoretically? No, it did not. But, you know, there are some things that weren't necessarily completely thought out because, you know, you're forming a new country. You know, some things are bound to get, not swept under the rug, but lost in, lost in your thought process, you know? I mean, back then you were still allowed to, have duels where if you had a disagreement, you could essentially shoot your way to who who won, who wins the argument. You could be completely wrong, but as long as you can press your trigger faster and have better aim, essentially you're right in the argument. Um, I think that prosecutors, although not intended, they kind of assumed their role in power because it was a necessary thing. Um, if you were alleged of a crime, you would have to essentially go in front of a court and say, "Hey, I'm not like I'm not guilty." But I mean, no, no one is, if you don't study how to actually prove that you're not guilty of something, the chances of you being very good at it are very slim. Um, so I think that, you know, the role of the prosecutor or the need for a prosecutor was always there, but it just kind of assumed its role naturally. You know, I think it's an important, an important part of our criminal justice system that serves a lot of purpose. Um, and I think that, that that evolution was kind of, a natural thing because you can have we have the three different systems i mean even with judicial review like that technically isn't explicitly written in our constitution it was decided in i believe marbury v madison um a supreme court case so our society does a great job of kind of evolving with our laws ways to kind of fill in the holes that we need yeah, I definitely think a major hole that we needed to fill with roles like the prosecutor and the defense attorney is we needed a buffer between people and the law. If the people were just to directly interact with the judge, they have no understanding of, or they have very little understanding of what the legal rulings of the system are. We need this representation, these two roles, one to represent the law being the prosecutor and the other to represent the individual being the defense attorney. And that was just a natural evolution of our political system. And another natural evolution of our political system must be the role of the progressive prosecutor. Their ability to interpret the laws and begin the steps required in order to make changes to defend people and to create new policy is a very needed role within our society to keep the law fluid and growing. Well, thank you all so much for joining us for this series and we really hope that you continue to keep in touch with everything going on in the prosecutorial world and thank you again
Thank you.